it is uh, fantastic to be with you guys again. It's been six years. It's been an incredible journey with, uh, with Pastor Brian and the rest of the team to, to kind of see North Place grow and to go through our own journey from South Africa to downtown Austin, where we're planting a church right here in Texas. And it's been an incredible journey. I want to thank you. If you don't do what you do, we couldn't do what we do. And that's the beauty of the church, is together we are changing this state, we are changing our cities, we are changing this nation, and we are changing the world. Thank you for being a part of our journey, and thank you for the privilege that I have to share with you today a couple of things. So um, the journey from Austin to Dallas was a little longer yesterday than normal. I uh, woke up to a message from a certain unnamed airline that uh, told me that my unnamed flight was canceled. And since I had to be here yesterday afternoon for the evening service, it was a problem that my flight was canceled, and I tried to rebook my flight, and I couldn't find another one. So I called up the unnamed airline and said, uh, guys, I really need to be in Dallas today. Can you guys get me there? To which they responded, we can get you there tomorrow. And I said, well... Tomorrow's going to be a little tough. I, I, I know John, Pastor John's a fantastic preacher, but I, I think this is a little short notice that I'm not going to show up. So uh, why don't you just give me my money back and I'll find another unnamed airline to get me there. So uh, I, I called the second airline and they said, no problem. We'll fly you out before the storm. We'll get you there in time. It's no problem. So I, I packed up my stuff. I got ready. I went down to the airport. I got to go through that wonderful part of life where you get your strip and pack out your bag and, you know, go through security and, you know, all of that. You know, everybody loves taking their shoes off in public. It's fantastic. Um, you know, so I got to do all of that fun. And then I got to get onto the plane, that little tin tube that, you know, flies at, you know, hundreds of miles per hour big in, in the sky. And because I was late in booking my flights, of course, I was booked in right at the back between two other uh, small gentlemen like myself, you know, so that, uh, the, the, the three small guys are sitting there, you know, having a conversation. It's a lot of fun to fly. It's really fantastic. So, so there I was in the plane, but I was thinking, it's okay. 40 minutes from now, I'm in Dallas. No problem. This is okay. It, it, I can do this for 40 minutes. We were just about to take off when the pilot came over and said, unfortunately, our flight too has been canceled and we will be heading back to the airport and we get to go through the wonderful process of deplaning. And you know, when you're sitting at the back, it takes like 40 hours to get off the plane, right? So I'm sitting there watching everybody take their bags out and standing and having a conversation in the aisle. And I'm like, what am I going to do? So I, I, I call up, I, I decide I'm, I'm a resourceful guy. Somebody's got to be driving today to... Uh, to Dallas from Austin, so I'll, I'll, there's this bus service that I've used in the past, so I call them up, and I'm like, do you have any space? And they're like, sir, you along with hundreds of other people can't get to Dallas today because we have no space. We're, we're fully booked. So I decided, well, it's okay. I don't like losing. Is anybody with me? Okay, it's just me. Okay, I don't like losing, and I'm not going to give up. I'm going to make this happen. I am going to Dallas today. I'm preaching tonight. I'm going to rent a car, and we're going to do this. Enough is enough. Here we go. Jump in the car. Drive on. I'm driving, and I'm going, where's the storm? What are the airlines going on about? I mean, there's nothing here. It's a beautiful, lovely, not sunny, but nice day. I mean, it's a little ominous in the distance, but you know, that isn't coming my way. Yes, and then it did. Okay, so uh, 
then we hit the storm, and I mean, I was driving and boating, and I, I got you, okay? So we did what we could. We made our way here, and uh, then I, I got to this beautiful parking lot called the I-35. <laughs> I wasn't alone. There was a lot of us there, and we all parked in the I-35. The car was in park. And it was about, uh, I don't know, 3.30, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And there I was, parked on the I-35, car in park. I took out my laptop, started working. I was going, this isn't going anywhere. And it was at that point in time that I realized that maybe part of this whole experience was part of the word that God had laid on my heart for us for today. Sometimes in life, we need to give up in order to win. There are moments in life where we simply got to go, God, I can't make this happen, but if you want me there, get me there. And as I surrendered the possibility of making the way there, God opened the heavens, not in the way he did just before, but the sun came through, the car started moving, and lo and behold, I was here in, in time, just in time, but I was here in time for the service. And maybe it is that part of the message today is part of the messenger, is that in life, as much as I love winning, I've had to learn that the best way to win is sometimes not to win at all, but to surrender and to give up, to let it go. Jesus is coming to the big moment. He's coming to the moment where he's about to sacrifice his life and give up his life for, for us to be saved. He's, he's at that point and he's preparing for it and he's, he's telling the disciples about it. He says, listen guys, I'm gonna die. This is what's gonna happen. I'm gonna leave you. And he's in that process and in that process, Peter says, no way, this can't happen. This can't be right. You can't possibly be wanting to sacrifice your life. We need you here. You can't give up. You can't lose. And, and when Peter tells this to Jesus, he turns around and he says, get behind me, Satan. Now, that's not a nice word, right? Okay. And he says, get behind me, Satan. And Peter is still reeling from this word when Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 to 25, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It would appear that Jesus believed that the way to winning was losing. It would appear that Jesus is saying that if you want to find life, you've got to lose life, and that the key to finding life is losing life, but this makes absolutely no sense. How do you win by losing? How do you live life by giving up on life? How do you do this? See, the concept that Jesus was touching on here is a concept that, was, that is a central theme to a lot of what we read of in the Bible. It's the, the concept of offering, the concept of sacrifice, the concept of giving up, the concept of losing in the order that you might find. And, and what, what Jesus is speaking about is this central concept. And I know some of you guys are going, he said the O word, offering. He's going to speak about money. And you're all nervous because I'm about to speak about money and, and I know that it's a, it's a hot topic, it's a tough topic. And, and, and you're thinking, how on earth could he be speaking about money? It makes me think of the, the, the joke between the two notes that were friends, the, the $100 notes and the $1 note were good friends. 
So the, the $100 notes and the $1 note, they were together in a wallet at some time, and then they, after a long period of time, they ended up together in a, in a wallet again, the same $100 notes and $1 note. They were so happy to see one another. So the, the $1 note told the $100 note, he said, my old friend, where have you been? What have you done? He says, oh, you know, nothing much. I, I, I was used to buy a plane ticket, and then I flew to Europe, and, and there I was exchanged into euros, and, and, and lo and behold, I was exchanged back into dollars to another guy that came to America, and then I was used for a flight, a helicopter flight over the Grand Canyon. It was amazing. What about you, one dollar note? What were you up to? Oh, same old story, church, church, and more church. <laughs> now you're worried. You're worried I'm going to speak about finances. Well, uh, let me tell you this. The good news this morning is that I'm not speaking about finances. The bad news this morning is that if you understand what I'm speaking about, you will wish I spoke about finances. <laughs> this is way beyond your money. Offering is way more than, than what we've belittled it to, to we're going to take up the offering right now. And it's the little moment where we scrambled for a couple of $1 notes to throw into the basket. That's not what this is. That's, that's not what sacrifice is. That's not what offering is. That's not what this is about. This is a, a central theme to Christianity. If you, if, if you look at this idea of sacrifice throughout the Bible, you, you find that it's a, a theme that begins right with Cain and Abel. Right in the beginning, you find Cain and Abel, and what do they do when they start worshiping God? Right in the beginning of Genesis, they bring an offering. They bring a sacrifice. They, they bring something. They give something up towards God. Next up in the story, Noah. Noah, the big flood, the ark. I know some of you felt yesterday afternoon like you should have built an ark, right? But I mean, Noah and the ark, when they come out of the, the 40 days of rain, when they come out, what does he do? He brings a sacrifice. He makes an offering unto God. And then God calls Abraham. And when God calls Abraham, he speaks to Abraham. And, he, and, he, and he, he goes through this whole journey with Abraham. And then at the end of the journey, he calls on Abraham to sacrifice his son. And when he calls on Abraham to do that, there's this moment of sacrifice, but something happens. When Abraham is about to sacrifice his son, God brings about one lamb in the place of the son. One lamb in the place of a person. And then a little later in the story, you find Moses, and Moses has the, the plagues going, and, and he's in the process of getting the Israelites sent out of Egypt, and then they get to the 10th plague, and the 10th plague is terrible. Every family will experience the great calamity of the oldest son in the family dying. But God speaks to the people of Israel, and he says, not you. What you need to do is you sacrifice one lamb for every family. The story continues, and God gives the law to Moses, and when he gives the law to Moses, what you see is that he speaks to Moses, and he says, once a year, you will sacrifice one lamb for the sins of the nation. One lamb, one person, one lamb, one family, one lamb, one nation. And the progression here is God showing us a pattern of his process of sacrifice and how one life comes in the space 
of another. When Jesus is on earth, the theme of his life is sacrifice. The theme of his life, the story of his life is giving his life so that many can live. This idea of sacrifice, this idea of offering, this idea of coming to an end of yourself, this idea of giving up to win is a core ingredient to Christianity. It's a fundamental principle without which we cannot live in the fullness of what God has in mind for us, without which we cannot experience the wholeness that God has prepared for us. We've got to have this. This is something you can't go without. But the problem is too much of the church has belittled it. We've, we've made it palatable. We've made it easy. We've made it consumer-centric. We've made it all about us, but it was never supposed to be about us. It's about us giving up our lives. It's about us sacrificing. It's not about us getting everything we want. And this idea of offering or sacrifice is missing. And without this one thing, we can never get the other thing. See, we all want life. But without losing your life, you can't find your true life. It's a core ingredient. So I'm a South African by birth, and and South African culture is very communal, okay? So it's an adjustment for me living in Texas, because in Texas, it's completely acceptable to take a store-bought, ready-made salad to somebody when you go and have dinner with them, okay? Now, I know it's okay. It's okay in Texas. You can do that. You can buy store-bought stuff and take it to dinner, and it's all right. Just don't try that when you go to Africa, okay? People will look at you funny. You, you make it together. That's part of the fun. So when you invite somebody over for dinner, they don't bring a salad that they made at home. No, they bring the ingredients to the salad and they go, hey, let's make salad together. Okay. So next time you go have dinner with people, show up with the tomatoes, some lettuce, yeah, cucumber, and, and, and see what happens. Just try it. I'm sure they'll understand. In fact, our culture is so communal that, that we have something called the bring and braai, okay? And, and you want to say that now, right? Because you can say that brr thing, right? Okay? So just go bring and braai, okay? So what a bring and braai is, it's a, it's a bring and barbecue, directly translated, okay? But it's, it's this incredible culture where you invite people to your home, but you get them to bring the food. <laughs> Isn't it cool? They bring the meats, they bring everything, and you just give the home and you get everybody. But it, wow, amazing it is when everybody brings something. So it was preparing for a meal like this, a Christmas meal, in fact, that as a teenager, everybody's in the kitchen preparing food, making salad, getting the meat ready to be barbecued. The whole thing was taking place. And I was asked as a teenager, would I make the malfa pudding? And I've got a picture for you of what I was supposed to make. That, is, that was a good place to go, ooh. <laughs> Clearly, you haven't had this before. This is malva gooding. It's like, it's like a caramelly, spongy cake, meat, caramel sauce, and all kinds of fantastic goodness with cream on top and melted ice cream into the warm pudding that slowly merges and, and galvanizes and comes together with a caramel to make a taste sensation that will change your life. <laughs> malva pudding. I was asked to make the malva pudding. I was trusted to make the malva pudding. I protested and said, listen, guys, I've never followed a recipe in my life. I'm terrible at this. I will mess this up. To which I was told that this is an unfloppable, infallible, unstoppable malfa pudding, and nobody could mess this up, even if they tried. 
So I took it on. I took home the recipe and I made it. And it was around about the time and I took it out of the oven and it was this gloopy, non-appetizing mess. And I looked over at the counter and there was a bag of flour. <laughs> it was at that point that I realized that I have messed up the unstoppable, irbreakable, non-floppable, immutable malfa pudding. Because what? I left out the core ingredient. I think so many of us are living life that is so much less than the life that God has in mind for us because we're missing this core ingredient. We're missing this foundational thing of offering. We're missing this, this part of Christianity that has been, been spoken out of a consumer-centric, self-centric watered-down modern gospel that is all about the individual and the consumer, as if this was ever about us, as if it was ever about us. This is the whole point of Jesus' life, was not to come and have us worship Him, but it was for Him to come and lay down His life for all of us. That's what it means to be like Jesus. It's not to have all your problems solved and all your life comfortable. It's to lay down your life for the sake of others. That is what it is all about. That is where true joy and life and abundance comes from. It's not a bank balance or a size of your house or a, or a lack of, of, of trouble or an abundance of sleep. Abundant life is living a life that is not about all of that, and it starts with understanding that life is actually about giving and not about getting. And when we get this foundational principle right, everything else in Christianity falls in place. But when we lose this core ingredient, it becomes a gloopy mess that nobody wants to eat. Jesus was all about that. John chapter 12, verse 24, he says that most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Jesus is speaking about the sacrifice that he would make, the offering that he would give, because as he gives that offering, as he lays down his life, he opens up the way for all of us to live in life and more than life. They don't know who said this first, but it was quoted by Abraham Lincoln in, at some point in time. When he said this, he said, only any fool knows how many seeds are in one apple. But only God knows how many apples can be found in a single seed. And I guess my question to you this morning is simply that. Is are you living for the apples or are you living for the seeds? Are you living for what you can get or are you living for what you can give? Are you content with that which you can see and taste and bank and spend? Or are you living a life that says, I'm not going to remain alone. I'm going to give myself. 
I'm going to pour out myself. I'm going to surrender myself. I'm going to offer up me so that I can truly live. So that I can see how God can take my but one life and turn it into much, much more than this. See, the progression was thus. It was one lamb for one man, and then it became one lamb for a family, and then it was one lamb for a nation. And then Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, gave his life so that one lamb would see all of humanity saved and freed. And it was in the act of giving, it was in the act of sacrificing himself that he saw his life producing much, that he saw his life go beyond himself. And this is a value statement. This is a new perspective of life. This is another way of looking at life. The way to winning is giving up. The way to sacrifice is, the way to life and abundance is sacrifice. The way to fullness is giving up. Later on, Paul would describe this Christian life as follows to the Philippian church in Philippians chapter three, verse seven to nine, when he says, but whatever were gains to me, Whatever were gains to me, I consider loss for Christ's sake. What is more, I consider everything in this life a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for, the, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in I consider it all garbage that I might gain Christ. What, what, what's Paul saying here? He's saying he understands that there is a price that brings about a certain prize. There is a price that he is willing to pay. There is a price paid that brings about a prize received. And the price paid is worth the prize received. But the problem with the, so much of Christianity today is that we're, we're, we don't want to pay the price. We take away the price. This is easy. This is all about you. This is all about your comfort, your goodness. No price to be paid here. How can we make you more comfortable? Is the temperature all right for you? And, and sometimes because of our, the comfort of being a Christian and us just going through the motions of living the Christian life all about ourselves, we don't have to pay the price, but we miss out on the prize in the process. If you go to a country where Christianity is persecuted, where the price of saying that I believe in Jesus Christ can cost you your life, I want to tell you, if you look into those people's eyes, you can see the prize. You can see the life. You can see the fullness. Why? Because they've paid the price. And without the price, there is no prize. In which areas of your life are you holding back on paying the price of sacrifice, the price of offering, but you're also missing out on the prize of living life and life more abundantly? What prizes are you missing out on that's causing you to miss out on the price? And this is the part where my accent is really hard to follow, isn't it? Prize, prize, which one was that? I love Jesus and Jesus. Um, Oh, you missed that one. That was, that was too quick. Sorry. 
fact of the matter is that even Jesus on the cross saw the prize when he was paying the price. Hebrews chapter 12, isn't it? Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says that Jesus, looking unto Jesus, who for the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, the prize that he saw, the prize in us being able to pay the price, laying down our lives for the prize that was set before him, he endured the cross. He saw something that was worth paying the price for, that was worth making the offering for, that was worth giving up for in order to experience the more, in order to experience the fullness that God has in mind. And I want to take a moment to to look at some core prizes that we need to pay, some core offerings we need to make in life if we want to live an abundant life. And there's these these three core sacrifices that I believe every person needs to make. And I I get it from from the story of Abraham. If we go back to Abraham's story, there's three things that God causes him to sacrifice. Now, Abraham in the Bible is referred to as the father of our faith. He's the, he, he's the first one that would, would generate or, or engage this nation that would become the people of God from whom Christ would be born. And, it's, um, and, and Abraham makes these three sacrifices. First sacrifice God asks him to make is to sacrifice his history. To sacrifice his history, he had to give up his land and his family. So Hebrew, uh, sorry, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, God speaks to Abraham, says, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. God wants him to give up his cultural identity, his people identity, and his financial identity, his father's house, and give up all these different identities and say, I'm no longer going to find identity in my history. I'm not gonna, no longer going to look back and say, but these things that have happened to me, Claudia shared this word um, in the worship about you, you've got to give up in your history just because you come from a long line of alcoholics doesn't make you an alcoholic. Just because you come from a long line of divorcees doesn't make you a divorcee. The fact is that we are not defined by our history, and sometimes we are holding on to things in our history, things that we did wrong, things that was done wrong to us, and we're allowing those things to define us, but if we don't give those things up, we will never live in the fullness that God has in mind for us. Somebody in this room needs to let go of their history. You need to let go of your story that's given you identity and you've got to embrace a new identity in Christ. You've got to take a hold of what he has for you, but to take what God has for you, you've got to let go of what you had. Second core sacrifice that Abraham needs to make is Abraham's got to sacrifice Ishmael. Now, Ishmael represented his hard work. So what happens is, Abraham, God speaks to Abraham, makes him a promise of a son. The son doesn't happen in, on Abraham's timeline. And then eventually, what, what happens is, he, he comes to a point where him and Sarah, his wife, comes up with this idea that he would sleep with, with one of her slaves. And, and, and then Ishmael gets born, and Abraham loves Ishmael. But then this, this, this fight breaks out between, between Sarai's wife and Hagar the slave. And then in Genesis chapter 16 verse 6, you find this moment where, where, where as you, you read this, it says, Look, your servant is under your control. Do to her as you wish. So it's, it's, it's essentially um, Abraham that says to Sarai, do whatever you want to. And she gets rid of the slave. And as she gets rid of the slave, she gets rid of Ishmael. Now, Ishmael was dear to Abraham. It was a sacrifice for Abraham. But what he was sacrificing is he was sacrificing his efforts. He was sacrificing his ways. He was sacrificing his hard work. 
Somebody once said that if your vision doesn't scare you, it's probably not from God because then you don't need Him to get there. But some of us are living lives for dreams that are bigger than us, but we're not doing it in God's strength. We're doing it in our strength, and you're frustrated and struggling to get to that point where God wants you to get. And maybe you're listening to the stream, or you're sitting in this audience, and you're in a place where you're going, you know what, that's me. I've got to give up my hard work. But maybe like me, it, it takes two flights, a bus that hasn't have seats, and a parking lot on the R35 for you to get to the point where you're ready to give up. And say, God, I can't make this happen, but you can. God, I can't cause this to work out, but I'm ready to let go. I'm ready to put this back in your hands, because if you started it, then you can finish it. Some of us needs to surrender our hard works. Third thing that Abraham needs to surrender is Isaac. Now, you might look at this and say, why must he give up Isaac, his, in, his heritage, his inheritance, the very promise of God? See, because that's this, this concerning bit about the story is you, you, you get to it in Genesis 22 verse 2 where, where it says that take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him up as a burnt offering on one of the mountains there. So God speaks to Abram and he says, listen, your son, I want you to go and offer up your son. And I'm reading the story now. We know how it ends. I just told you how it ends. It ends with God providing one lamb in the place of one man. But that doesn't answer the question, why does God ask this of Abraham? Now, I think part of why God asking this of Abraham is because he's showing us the pattern. He's showing us that it's gonna, we all deserve the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. But God's going to bring his lamb. He's going to pay the price for us to have life. He's showing us the pattern. But more than that, what's he doing in Abraham's life? Why is he doing this for Abraham's sake? Well, I'll tell you. Sometimes we get so taken up with the gift that we forget about the giver. Sometimes we get so taken up with the calling that we forget about the one that called us. Sometimes we get so taken up with the fulfillment of the promise that we forget about the one that promised. And our God is a jealous God and he is after your heart. He can get you things in no time, but the one thing that he longs for more than anything else is your heart. And he is a jealous God. And sometimes we need to come to the place where we take the very inheritance, the very heritage, the very things that God has given us that is from God, that is God's call, that is God's provision, that is God's gift. And we've got to say, God, you have given me this, but I am giving what you have given me back to you because it is not about the gift, it is about the giver. And sometimes we've got to go through this third core offering in order to experience the fullness of what Jesus said. See, because this is what Jesus said in Matthew 16. We read this earlier. He said, then Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him what? Let him deny himself. Let him give up on his history. Let him give up on what was behind him. Let him give up on what gave him identity. Secondly, and take up his cross. Well, if you take up a cross, you're laying down everything else. So you've got to give up on your hard work and follow me. Not follow my gifts, not follow my provision, not follow my fullness, follow me. And let him follow me, let him give up even the very things that I gave him. Because whoever will lose his life will find it. But whoever tries to keep it, will lose it. 
the way to live life, the way to win is to give up. Henry Newman writes a book on faith, and in this book on faith, he, he actually relates a story. He tells a story about how he went to the circus with his dad, and when he went to the circus with his dad, he, he, he saw these trapeze artists that would, that, would, that would literally be swinging on trapeze, and, and one would be swinging on the one side of the room, and another would be swinging on the other side of the room, and, 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 and they would literally let go, fly through the air, and be caught in midair, the, the timing of the swings working together perfectly for the person to be caught. And he looked at these trapeze artists and he was taken up with it. And, and, and Henry was so, so taken up with what he just saw that he went to meet the guy that was leading the troop. Now the troop was called the Fry, Flying Rod, Rodlichs. It was a German trapeze troop, and he, he, he met the guy, the, the Rodlich, to which they were called the Flying Rodlichs. And, and Henry met Rodlich, and he was so taken up that he asked if he could tour with them. And for a couple of months, he actually traveled with them from town to town as they performed their bit. And it was one day after the performance that, that, that Henry came to Rodlich, and he said, this was amazing. You're amazing. You're the star of the show. And Rodlich stopped him, and he said, no, I'm not. And Henry said, what do you mean? Of course, of course you are. You're the guy, you're doing all the flying. He says, but I'm not the star. The star of the show isn't the flyer, it's the catcher. He says, the secret is that the flyer does nothing and the catcher does everything. When I fly to Joe, my catcher, I have simply to stretch out my arms and hands and wait for him to catch me and pull me to safety over the apron. The worst thing the flyer can do is to try and catch the catcher. I am not supposed to catch Joe. It's Joe's task to catch me. If I grab Joe's wrists, I might break them or he might break mine and that would be the end of us both. A flyer must fly, and a catcher must catch, and the flyer must trust with outstretched arms that the catcher will be there for him. You have been born to fly. You have been born to let go of the trapeze that you've been holding Onto. You have been born to let go of the life that you've been working for. You've been born to let go of the history that has defined you, of the things that has brought you identity. You have been born to let go of the very gifts that you might feel as if God has called you to. You have been born to let go. You have been born to give up. You have been born to fly. Our catcher has never dropped anybody. It's not your job to catch him. It's his job to catch you. And all you need to do, you need to fly. Can I invite you to stand up as we pray?
the purpose of our time together this morning is not for you to listen to a word, but rather for you to respond to God. And I want to encourage you in this moment, don't you want to just make business with God right there where you are? Don't you just want to stay? And I, I want to invite the prayer team to the front. But while they're coming to the front, I want to ask you, don't you just want to take this moment and where God has spoken to you about surrender, where God has spoken to you about giving up, where God has spoken to you about letting go, don't you want to take this moment between you and God and do just that? Don't you just want to do that? And I want to, I want to challenge you. If there's something in your life that you need to give up on, have you, have you ever seen a Western when they come up with the guns and they go, hands up? What do you do to show that you've surrendered? You go up. I'm surrendered. I'm not fighting anymore. I'm not going to make this happen. Here's my hands. I surrender. And maybe you just need to have a hands up moment before God and say, Lord, I surrender. I'm letting go of what I had my hands on. I'm letting go of my hard work. I'm letting go of what I've done. And I say, God, I surrender. If you need to surrender something to God, can I see your hands? Can you go up with your hands and say, God, I surrender? Don't, don't put one hand up as if you're trying to show me something. Put both hands up as if you're saying, God, I give up. Take it all, Jesus. Take my life, take my history, take my hard work, take my heritage, take all of me. I surrender to you, Lord. Lord, in this beautiful moment of surrender, God, I want to proclaim, I want to declare, I want to speak over every one that has their hands in the air that you are Israel. You are the conquered by God. You have surrendered to God and he has conquered your heart and your life and your work and your destiny. Then, Lord, I want to pray, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth and through these lives as it is in heaven. So let it be on earth as we give up as we lose that we might find that we might win and that we might fly in Jesus name Amen